All right, all right. Welcome to the Cavish Shifts Podcast, where we try, cut through the fog and the murk, shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervella. The Cavish Shifts Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII delivering the advantage. Coming up, the Turkish Straits are the only way in and out of the Black Sea. The maritime traffic passing through this great strategic waterway of antiquity, running through the heart of Istanbul, remains full of intrigue as Russia continues to find ways around shipping embargoes and restrictions in place now for nearly a decade. Yorick Isik, known as the Bosporus Observer, is one of the most astute analysts of the waterway, and he joins us from Istanbul with some truly fascinating observations into the sort of games playing out almost in full view of one of the world's great cities. But first, some naval news of the week. The Russian Ropusha-class amphibious ship Novotrykask was apparently destroyed early December 26th by a Ukrainian missile attack while in port at Feodosia, Crimea. The ship reportedly exploded and burned after it was hit by a Storm Shadow missile. Russian media reported 33 sailors were killed in the attack and 19 were wounded. Daylight images of the scene showed a completely wrecked ship. The Novotrykask was at Feodosia on the southeastern side of Crimea, where a number of Russian naval units had relocated from Sevastopol on the western side to get further away from Ukrainian forces. A Panamanian-flagged merchant ship reportedly was hit by a Russian mine on December 27th. Reuters reported the Greek-owned bulk carrier Vysos was hit while nearing the Danube River estuary in the western Black Sea. Two of the 18 crew members on board were injured, including the ship's captain. The ship was reported anchored, but as of this time, has stopped updating its position. A cooperative effort by several Black Sea navies to begin mine clearance operation is to begin early in 2024. The situation in the Southern Red Sea around the Bab el-Mandab Strait remained complex as U.S. and other nations ramped up efforts to escort merchant shipping through the key waterway in the face of continued Houthi attacks. On December 26th, the destroyer USS Laboon and F-A-18 Super Hornets flying from the carrier USS Dwight D. Eisenhower shot down three anti-ship missiles, two land-attack cruise missiles, and 12 one-way aerial attack drones all launched by Houthi forces over a 10-hour period, U.S. Central Command reported. None of the Houthi weapons caused any damage or injuries to ships in the area. On December 28th, the destroyer USS Mason shot down another anti-ship ballistic missile and another aerial drone in the Southern Red Sea. Again, U.S. Central Command reported no damage to any of the 18 merchant ships in the area. Meanwhile, U.S. efforts to establish Operation Prosperity Guardian to protect shipping in the Southern Red Sea and around the Baba Mendeb continued to meet with a lack of enthusiasm from many nations. Although the Pentagon said on December 22nd that more than 20 countries would participate, a number have declined to place meaningful forces under the operation's command, choosing instead to protect ships of their own flag or ownership. Denmark, after some delay on December 29th, 
announced it would send a frigate to the operation. Some shipping companies are rerouting their vessels around southern Africa rather than continuing to run ships through the troubled region, where at least a dozen merchant ships have been attacked by Houthi forces since November 19th. About 30% of global container ship traffic passes through the Red Sea, the primary maritime gateway between Europe and Asia. The amphibious ships USS Bataan and USS Carter Hall passed northbound through the Suez Canal on December 28th after operating the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea since early August. The two ships are rejoining the third member of their amphibious ready group, USS Mesa Verde, which has been operating in the Mediterranean since mid-October. The three ships are embarking the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit and have been deployed since July. And for the first time, China has appointed a naval officer as defense minister. Admiral Dong Zhan, a former commander of the PLAN, People's Liberation Army Navy, was announced on December 29th as the new head of the Ministry of National Defense. The move follows the appointment on December 25th of Vice Admiral Hu Zhongmin as the new commander of the Navy. Dong Zhan's predecessor as Defense Minister, General Li Shengfu, was dismissed from the post in October and has not been publicly seen since. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news. Yorick Ishik is a foreign policy and risk analyst for a variety of non-government organizations, NGOs, primarily related to situations in Russia. He's also a veteran ship spotter, based in Istanbul, well-known on social media for his photographs and analysis of maritime traffic passing in and out of the Black Sea. Yorick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's a great honor to be on Kevin's Ships podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's our honor to have you, sir. <laughs> Yorick, um, I know you've been doing this for a very long time, uh, but you know the attention of the world has really been focused on the Black Sea traffic, especially since Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Over the past two years, what have you what 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 trends have you noticed? Now, by the way, for folks not not that familiar with geography, there's only one way in and out of the of the Black Sea, and as soon as as soon as you leave the Black Sea going south, it you enter enter the Bosphorus, which go, runs past the Turkish city of Istanbul, empties into the Sea of Marmara, down to the Dardanelles, out into the Aegean, out in the Mediterranean Sea, but everything in and out has got to go right by Istanbul. So, York, what have you been what what have you been noticing over the last couple of years? How have things changed? Yeah, I'm on the bottleneck position here, observing everything in and out, and like is a unique geography here gives a, you know there's a ship spotter's paradise in a way. Um, like in last uh, twenty months, let's say, like since the you know this latest phase of the uh, Ukraine war started, um, uh, the the traffic, the mo- the biggest, most fundamental change has been the absolute uh, stopping of the naval traffic because when you're in Istanbul you see lots of navy ships and and uh, you know the, because this is the primary primarily this u- route is used by Russian navy you see maybe more than anything else uh, Russian naval vessels uh, that is partially being Turkish naval bases being outside more in the western and the southern shores of Turkey there is Turkey has no naval you know any significant naval base in the Black Sea because it's, it will be maybe undefensible against if there is a war. And so um, actually most of the time, and there are years that you I, I will see more Russian naval vessels. But uh, Turkey triggered the Montreux Convention of 1936 and closed the Turkish Straits. That is, as you said, Dardanelles and Bosphorus together as one water against one passage into the Black Sea. And uh, so all traffic stopped. That uh, included 
uh, NATO vessels also. Um, it's this part is a little bit remain uh, blurry, uh, you know. But I think NATO did not want to give Russia an opportunity to um, uh, increase the crisis by you know causing as you know as for the TV cameras. Um, any kind of risky attempts engaging with the NATO groups in the Black Sea. So um, technically, uh, like Romanian vessels occasionally are uh, traveling through um, uh, Bosphorus to the Mediterranean back and forth. But NATO groups, especially the mine groups or, you know, the standing NATO maritime group uh, too, usually uh, patrols the Black Sea, they stop uh, coming to the uh, Black Sea. So I only see right now Turkish naval vessels occasionally will be passing back and forth through Bosphorus, but all naval traffic stopped. Um, so that is the biggest change. The And the other uh, change has been the, in some in numbers, but also in the nature of the traffic. Um, the the is like the rest of the world. The container traffic was the most uh, biggest increasing part of the traffic through the Bosphorus has been the container traffic. But because uh, big companies uh, stop collecting um, Maersk or CMA, CGM, and, uh, you know, uh, they, they stop calling the Russian ports. So Novorossiysk is out of the uh, game. And because, you know, Chornomorsk, the Russian port of uh, Chornomorsk, I mean, I'm sorry, Ukrainian port of Chornomorsk has been blockaded in the early months of the uh, war. It was closed. So most of the container traffic, the big ships disappeared. Like Maersk says, you know, 300, 300 meter ships, which is the Bosphorus Max. If it's more than 300 meters, it needs more tug operation. So like Bosphorus Max is 299 meter container vessels. They disappeared also because the traffic disappeared. Some smaller vessels still go back and forth to Constanta. But, uh, you know, that disappeared. Instead of those big uh, brand name container vessels, uh, what increased? Smaller vessels to Russian ports and to Ukrainian ports also, especially in the Danube ports. But the the most of the big containers, uh, like big ships come and they unload their containers into the Turkish ports. And from here, either Turkish companies or Russian companies mostly in smaller, older vessels and some more adventurous companies and more carrying, you know, hoisted convenience flags. They're carrying these containers in a more inefficient way in multiple ships. They still carry it to uh, to Novorossiysk because there's lots of reforwarding happens. Other big big change has been the uh, the crude uh, Russian uh, seaborne crude. Uh, the you know from uh, there is a big oil terminal in uh, near Novorossiysk, Sheshkarish, which uh, markets one of Russia's top brand, Urals blend, which is of. Uh, Ural's uh, he uh, heavy sour and uh, Volga sweet light is a mixture of it. And because of this EU introduced mechanisms of trying to limit the Russian um, seaborne uh, crude uh, exports, uh, that Russia and all these pricing wars, etc., that other customers that they are not traditionally buying uh, crude from the Black Sea ports like India and China, but mostly India, uh, they uh, literally went shopping uh, frenzy on this Russian crude. And from Bosphorus, I almost never seen traffic going to India. Now, almost every day, twice or three times, uh, ships are carrying crude uh, to India and ships we never seen before, like either some of it is what is this called the ghost fleet. We can mention it, that Russia created an alternative fleet of vessels, usually older vessels carrying convenience flags. 
to use for its oil exports and other ships that we never seen here before. Lots of Vietnamese government owned vessels, tankers uh, carrying this uh, uh, crude oil and also some refined products also like diesel to different markets uh, from here. So that has been the biggest change. So you know you, you talk about flags of convenience. Um yes, so Russia created uh when they saw this sanction mechanism is coming. Also, one should not forget this last 20 months is only the last stage of the war. You know, like the war really started at 2014 and it's been going almost 10 years. So Russia had lots of time to adapt to the sanctions mechanisms. So they seen these heavier sanctions coming, they created alternative fleet to carry the uh petrol. This fleet is um, or it's consistent, consistent of older vessels, 15 years and older. They are all um, have convenience flags and they already in this last uh, 18 months, they change and, and they change. That's the funny thing. They change flags usually overnight and in mass all together. Like they were all, uh, you know, uh, Gabon flags. They all becomes Cook Islands flags. They all become Marshall Islands flag. Like they were actually started with Marshall Islands, but Marshall Islands deregistered them overnight. They, and the overnight, they all became Gabon flag. And when they managed to register in the Gabon flag, that there was a coup d'etat in Gabon. Whatever good connections these people have, they manage in the middle of coup d'etat uh, to register a fleet of vessels. And all these vessels are registered to small um, shell companies. Like one of them was the most prominent one was Gatik. And Gatik was literally a shop, like a small a hole in the wall kind of shop in a Mumbai shopping mall. And from in, in, in six months, they went from no tanker or from one tanker to at the end, six months later, they had like, they were operating 70 tankers. And <laughs> so like there is this, all this um, sanction working around the sanction mechanisms are introduced and all these things are happening. Whatever happens, it passes from right in front of me. So all these vessels suddenly appear. Some vessels, you see it. I mean, that's, I mean, we even together, when we I had a chance to ship spotting with you, you'll see, you know, like the ships are, the names and the, the logos of the companies are freshly painted and you can still see because it's done in such a on the fly, on the go. It's like they only put one uh, coat of paint on it. So actually you can still clearly right. read the old companies, their old name under the, you know, under the coat of paint. And so it's, it's this, this shows, I mean, um, you know, that, you know, if there's a lesson to learn from here, Russia is uh, very used for this kind of changes and pressure and this kind of asymmetrical events, warfare, you know, whatever you can call, but they adapt very fast. So, you know, that's, you know, our uh, decision makers, etc., also have to adapt very fast mm -hmm. against this because Russia, Russians usually find a solution to work around these sanctions. When, what, what is what is your sense for the pace in which the West is reacting to their ability to slip through sanctions? There's a lot of people here in Washington that are kind of scratching their head, wondering why the sanctions haven't been more effective. And, you know, in the last three minutes, you just kind of explained it perfectly. I mean, it's exactly why they haven't. Why has the West been so slow, in your opinion? Yeah, I think especially, you know, funny enough, you know, people might complain about Washington, but Washington is actually react even faster than EU. It's there is um, it's one is like, you know, we are not, you know, there's the decision, there's decision making process in the West and there is lobbying groups, etc. Like in EU's case, like the price cap 
they, you know, they put out so much red flags before, like, I'm about to sanction you, I'm sanctioning, I'm about to sanction you. And this partially it happened with the uh, Greek, you know, most of the Russian crude was is carried by Greek companies and Greek shipping companies have such uh, heavy lobbying power on Greek governments. You know, they managed to slow down the process and it gave Russians a huge uh, time to get prepared. But, you know, in a way, this is how, you know, our system works. It's like one should not forget that the sanctions are not worthless. Many people want sanctions to work from, you know, overnight. This is not an overnight mechanism. You know, I think maybe uh, people have imagination that it's going to immediately hurt them. No, Russia already, even before the war started, was sitting on a big pile of cash. Even if there's some of their money is frozen, etc., they still have access to a big pile of cash. And they are, you know, right now they are losing money from the profit. What they are doing is they are still selling their goods. You know, they sold more crude this year than the, you know, the year before. But what they are doing, they're selling at a more discount price. And so, but they are still earning money because we cannot convince all our, uh, you know, uh, other countries and the global south or other partners like India is, it's cannot you cannot call India global south really. These people are landing on the moon and they are putting satellite, right. you know, and, and but you know they are not convinced about this war. They have no um, ethical issue to continue to trade, and this goes to other countries like that. I'm in right now, Turkey also, you know, in a way it's from the beginning of the war always been on the side of uh, Ukraine, but Turkey is is an extremely um, mercantile and uh, capitalist nation. It's, it sees no ethical issue uh, to do trade. And this is not only an exception to the Ukraine-Russia uh, war. Like, you know, right now, Turkish is, you know, Turkey in the in the political arena, it uses the harshest rhetoric against Israel, but Turkish-Israeli trade is booming even right now. You know, it's like, it is no issues. Turkey sells, uh, you know, UAVs, you know, it's one of Turkey's pr- proud uh, <laughs> export products right now. Turkey sounds UAVs that technically are, uh, you know, countries. Uh, they, it's 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 opposing its policies. Like it sells to Serbia or to even to Egypt. It's a, it's it has no problem when it comes to trade. It has no problem to do trade. So this is a different approach, different look at the world. It's not ideological base. Uh, it's really it goes transactional. And as when it comes to trade, it's it says I'm going to earn money now and I will deal with it some other day <laughs> with the <laughs> other issues. How about on the Ukrainian side? I mean, what what sort of Ukrainian traffic are you seeing, particularly grain? Um, and you, you know, can you speak to that issue as as you know, winter is sort of upon them now? Yeah, I can speak to that issue actually for so long that Chris will kick me out of the uh, podcast because <laughs> the grain and agricultural commodities has been the issue that I really, really got obsessed in the last 18, 20 months. Because, um, because um, first of all, this is an issue that not so many people pay attention. And uh, that's why, you know, whenever there's an issue that not so many people pay attention, it really attracts me. And, you know, it's like the petrol, etc. It's like everyone pays attention to crude or natural gas. I mean, these are things, but like even 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 in the energy, like coal is another major export product of Russia. And they're running lots of scams to export their coal because which is under EU ban also, but the most of the European coal terminal power, 
power plants, they work only with Russian coal. They do crazy operations. They send coal to Mozambique, to South Africa to get re-exported as Mozambican or South African coal into Europe. So, but, you know, but because nobody really pays attention to coal because coal is like everyone thinks coal is too 19th century, but not really, you know, in real world, coal is something very important. But so agricultural products, it's here, like in a Chatham House report, uh, the Bosphorus was named as one of the five choke points of the world about the food security in the world. If the ships don't pass from here carrying uh, grain, corn, wheat, you know, barley, the world will someplace in Middle East or North Africa will go hungry. So this is a very, and livestock also, which passes in great numbers from here, the high quality Central European uh, livestock going to Middle East uh, and Israel. So, um, what happened here with the war, Russians uh, in the first five, six months of the war, they successfully blockaded the Ukraine's top uh, export ports. This is the, you know, in Odessa, Chornomorsk, former Ilychevsk, for the uh, cold warriors out there who don't remember, the, who still remember the old name, and Yuzhny, it's uh, Pivdeny uh, right now. Um, so those ports, when they were blockaded, Russia, uh, Ukraine couldn't export its uh, agricultural products. And, the you know, this kind of export routes are developed throughout decades. You cannot just simply say, OK, I cannot use my ships today. I'm going to send by train. And, you know, with the old Soviet uh, gauge in the trains are being different, etc. It's like it's impossible to send these things in practical way to Western Europe by train. There are not enough roads to send it by trucks. And we are talking about millions of metric tons of grain from Ukraine going to the rest of the world. So that immediately, uh, you know, created last year in 2022, uh, a big price hike in the, you know, in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, a big price hike, especially for the wheat, etc. Then, you know, with the under the good offices of uh, UN and one of the successes of Turkey with, you know, the Turkey, Turkey and UN, they created this grain deal to move the Ukrainian uh, grain out of the Ukrainian ports with the Russians promising, although it's not, it's, they made such a bizarre thing. Actually, Russia never signed that deal that UN and Turkey and Ukraine signed, but they kind of lose the promise not to attack those ships. You know, that deal is actually fundamentally flawed in its logic because it kind of accepts the fact that, you know, that, you know, and Russians were checking uh, this, how all this thing started. Russia were, was concerned that the vessels, agricultural commodity carrying bulkers, are carrying secretly weapons to Ukraine. But there is no real life example. This is like classic Soviet Russian style foreign policy move that they come up with an uh, imaginary problem that they are suffering from. And it's, it, you know, the deal kind of, um, it, it, it gives Russia the, uh, to have a say who comes in, in and out of uh, Black Sea and it's kind of basic, uh, violates the basic principles of freedom of navigation. I mean, the, the ships coming and going to the Ukrainian ports to, you know, it has nothing to do with Russia. Any other ship should become freely coming in and out of the Ukrainian ports. But, you know, Russians created this de facto situation. And eventually, like many of the parts, I'm, you know, trying to make it very fast. Eventually, they try to sabotage that whole situation that they, it was created solely because uh, they were concerned about checking these vessels carrying weapons or not. Then they start to, you know, over uh, inspecting the ships. Then they start to slow down. They went totally the opposite direction. They stopped really slow down the inspection of the ships. Eventually, the grain deal 
kind of collapse on its own. So what happened right now is Ukraine in the very western parts of the Black Sea uh, declared that, you know, this is, they declared some, they, they gave some uh, coordinates to the IMO. Uh, this is after Ukraine uh, gained the control of the Zimni Island and Russians de facto lost any kind of control of the Western Black Sea. And they lost vessels, you know, like the important events happened throughout the last 18 months. You know, they lost several important tugs. They lost many small vessels, but most importantly, their flag vessel, Moskva. You know, it was a Cold War vessel, not really uh, actually appropriate this kind of small sea uh, battlefield. And through their lack of, uh, you know, lack of training for this current staff levels, because we see the vessel burn from inside out, I think if this was a, you know, Chris will explain better, but if this was a NATO vessel, probably it wouldn't have sink because we see the vessels floating after the attack, right? You know, it's like it burned inside out and then it sinks. Um, but, you know, they, the Russians lost so many assets and, you know, Ukrainians start controlling the Western Black Sea. They regained the control of the east of uh, the Zimni Island, the Snake Island. There were some uh, gas rigs, oil rigs that belonged to the Ukrainian but uh, seized from in the original invasion from Crimea by Russians. And Russians armed these rigs. They like really created like Mad Max-like situation. There were uh, radar towers on it, etc. Russians were using this area fully to trying to create an area of denial. But all these things happen and Ukrainians start controlling the Western Black Sea. Then they issue these coordinates for the bulkers to travel from the very western part of the Black Seas to carry agricultural commodities from Odessa and Chornomorsk. So de facto, you know, NATO didn't come. Nobody really came. Ukraine, one more time in this war, come up with its own solution. It's kind of like, if you want to do it right, do it yourself kind of approach. And the vessels right now are carrying, and in last two months, they carry several millions tons of metric tons of goods. Is it as good as a normal days? No, but it's not bad at all. I mean, they are doing a good job. And right now, on January 11, there is going to be a meeting in Istanbul. Romanians, Turkey, and Romanians, they just got a new uh, transfer from the Royal Navy, a new mine hunter. And Turkey has uh, really high-class mine hunters, one of the best probably in NATO. It has um, you know, more than, uh, I think, a dozen vessels, mine hunter vessels that are ready to serve in the Black Sea. They're going to patrol this Western Black Sea routes. This is away from any kind of Russian threat. And as we saw that, you know, the ships are coming and going, I see ships coming from Ukrainian ports every day. And so that goods is slowly moving from, from the Russian side that their goods are moving without any interruption at all the, you know, all throughout the last 20 months, Russia continued its exports. Russian vessels are gone. And, you know, and this is a proof that, you know, Russia systematically complained in the last 20 months because of U.S. sanctions. They cannot get paid, etc., and they cannot export. That's not true. You know, they are getting paid and being kicked out from the SWIFT is not an excuse not to get them paid. You know, people were getting paid um, before SWIFT, uh, you know, you just it just takes more paperwork, but you can get paid without SWIFT. Um, so that exports continue. Uh, but uh, so here we also see recently like interesting observations uh, that's in this agricultural commodities issues. Um, what I really got obsessed, that's what I said, I could talk long time. Russia start 
exporting or re-exporting grain uh, from the occupied parts of Ukraine. So right. this is the questionable part. And sometimes you see in my, especially in my tweets, but there is at least six, seven different Twitter accounts really closely uh, follow this. Uh, that is, that's what we call the grain theft. So Russia systematically, they created even pre-February 2020 invasion, they created uh, companies and they purchased vessels, specific vessels that they are like the maximum size they can enter to the port of Sevastopol, especially, which is very well connected to the Crimean rail network. But from the other occupied city of Feodosia, occupied Sevastopol, and doing ship to ship in the Karch Anchorage area, it's carrying um, uh, all types of grain from the occupied parts of Ukraine in a kind of in a systematic way. It little bit looks like the 1930s Stalin's events of collective farms, etc. Either at gunpoint or from abandoned farms or from the collaborators, it's carrying Ukraine's grain and it's reselling them to the world markets. Sometimes very boldly, fully openly. Sometimes mixing with the you know more legitimate Russian grain. This grain is getting marketed to the world. Unfortunately, some of it, it goes through Turkey because Turkey is one of the world's biggest uh, flour producer, grain milling. You know, once it's milled, it's totally impossible to follow the thing. So it becomes pasta or flour. But also it gets dumped to Syria, which is under Russia's control, the, the port of Tartus, sometimes to Latakia. And from there through cronies of Assad family network, it goes by trucks to Lebanon, etc. And it, again, it gets distributed to the whole world. And sometime in more daring operations, um, and uh, it goes to Egypt, uh, limited Jordan, and it just started, it goes to Iran. And, you know, even from the beginning of the war, it was harder to follow. It was from the Volga Dunlak system. It will go to Caspian and it will go to the Iran, to the port of Banz uh, Bandar Anzali in smaller quantities. But now a company formerly owned by the uh, Russian uh, state leasing company and as Astrakhan-based Salmi shipping purchased two vessels from the Russian leasing company and uh, Zaid and Zafar. And they are serving from the occupied Sevastopol. They are carrying uh, plundered grain to the port of Bandar Humeini. And, and similarly, again, Astrakhan-based companies, uh, CMC, Crane Marine Contractor, these are the other vessels that usually serve the Syrian ports. Uh, and why this company name I'm uh, naming it is important because even on their own website, so this is not an open source finding necessarily, you just have to visit their website. It's owned by the sanctioned United Ship Corporation of St. Petersburg. So it's directly Russian federal state enterprise owned companies <coughs> uh, subsidiary is carrying plundered grain. Uh, to Syria. So we see that this plundering operation is not some, uh, you know, wartime opportunist or, you know, to some businessman. Although like in Russia, all these businessmen, whatever the private companies we see here, they're all directly connected to the Kremlin. But here we see directly Russian state government organized industrial scale of uh, agricultural commodities moving from country to from country to country. You know, you're, this is... <laughs> you're, you're you're almost a, um, I was a little worried that we'd have to coax you to to talk <laughs> when we got on here and I'm 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 really relieved that I don't I don't think I have to worry about that. No, um, totally the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> uh before we go cuz this is this is absolutely utterly fascinating and you know you're talking in a level of uh, detail and uh, granularity that we don't often hear about and this is this is absolutely uh, really fascinating. But uh, pivoting a little bit, 
uh, when I was over there, uh, over to Istanbul, um, a few weeks ago, I was over, this was a shipyard visit, uh, Turkish, Turkish government company, ASFAB. And I went, when I went to the naval shipyard, um, but next to the naval shipyard, which is on the Sea of Amaris, um, over by Tuzla, uh, around the corner is a whole raft of commercial shipyards, lots yeah. of shipyards, major shipbuilding center. Um, there's a there's a lot of ship repair goes on in the area, obviously, uh, up in the Golden Horn. Um, you talked about, uh, you know, but I've 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 no, I noticed just the other day that uh, a new floating dry dock for Rosatom, the Russian um, atomic nuclear maintenance operation yeah. for the Arctic Sea, uh, was just completed at uh, Puzla. And is is uh, is awaiting shipment to go up there. The Russians have, have have a lot of problems building their own floating dry docks. It's not something they're very good at, um, and that's that's a critical problem for them. Um, but Turkey has really stepped up. Uh, the 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 Turkish ability to build floating dry docks is now thriving, I think, because most of it's been China the last some years. But that's becoming politically not a good thing for some places. Uh, that the, the Turkish market is rolling. You also talked about when we were there, we were running around and um, we, we were going by the Golden Horn, uh, which is right right in the heart of Istanbul. Um, you talked about a Russian government, a naval ship, I think a survey ship, oceanographic yeah. ship, that um, came in in the in night in the middle of the night um, for an overhaul for some work there. So there are these games going on over there. The Russians are buying floating dry docks to to, to support. Can you talk about the shipyard, ship repair, shipbuilding? Yeah. Um, so on? like here, it's like like many things happens in Turkey. It happens when once it happens, it happens in massive scale. I mean, Turkey is a manufacturing um, like it's this is a, it is going to be maybe politically incorrect, but I like politically incorrect things. This is like the China of Europe. You know, it's like there is quality, like European quality manufacturing, but for rock bottom prices. And so like this is like ship industry heaven in that sense and lacks labor rules. And, you know, because this is a very dangerous work and lots of people get hurt in the shipyards at the same time, you know, because they produce things under pressure, you know, these conditions are questionable. And, um, but um, basically uh, here, there are very legitimate companies. They work really state of the art things like you see sometime fully electrical ferries that uh, Norwegians and uh, Dan Danish companies bought it. State-of-the-art fishing farms, it's all getting built here, you know, that keeps the fish alive. So you can carry it like in the most best possible way to the fish markets, etc. So like there is lots of wonderful good things are produced. And in among this group, because this is a very large array of companies and lots of different companies, there are adventurer companies who are not scared of any kind of sanctions mechanism, and they are really almost uh, specializing of uh, more questionable customers. So, like, it is common to see that, for example, Iranian uh, vessels that they are directly related to the Islamic Republic of Iran shipping lines, uh, which is a sanctioned entity, and it is usually uses many other uh, shadow companies under its, you know, its own subsidiaries, etc. They will come and they will change name and go to a convenience flag, literally almost right in front of the shipyard and get repaired and go join back to the fleet. And we see Sovcom float vessels here all the time, like all the Russian tankers get uh, repaired here. But more importantly, and I don't think like this is not in uh, like a 
Turkey taking side on Russia, but it is Tur- Turkey's unchecked, uncontrolled uh, commercialist commercialist side. We see like the 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 company that built the uh, floating dock. Like, is anyone in Turkey really thinking about the strategic importance of this? You know, it's like Northern Sea Route. Uh, it and it has the, all this nuclear. Uh, uh you know the tax that that has to keep this route open and for those tax to be repaired they need this dry dock if they don't have this dry dock the, the existing vessels are worthless to useless to them and turkey is providing this actually key important strategic asset to russia same uh, shipyard again kuzestar which is which was a very small shipyard which and this this dry dock, etc., is one of their first projects. It's also built uh, for uh, Russia's uh, Federal Agency for Maritime and River Transport, Rosmerok Flot, uh, which is part of the Rosmore Port, uh, you know, uh, Russian state system. And uh, LNG ferries, uh, the first unit was called um, Marshal Roko- Rokosovsky. And so they are giant uh, Roro type ferries. And these ferries uh, are gonna work, and there's two units, and these ferries are gonna work from the Ustuga to Baltisk, to the Kaliningrad, etc. And there, you know, inside there is the uh, Russian standard uh, uh, 1,524 millimeter gauge. So the trains that can carry Iskandar missiles can directly come into these ferries. So like that is keeping the Kaliningrad armed is an another uh, major headache for them. And a Turkish shipyard produced two ship ferries for them to overcome this problem. You know, it's like, but like these issues, like absolutely are not discussed in Turkey. They are like this, 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 most of these plans come from Russia and they produce it to earn money in that sense. So like there is no ideological closeness or anything, but, you know, they, when it comes to production, it gets produced. So yes, like uh, Russia, this is now... Actually, with these two ferries that will work to the Kaliningrad route and this shipyard, these are strategic assets that will really facilitate the life of um, Russia to threaten uh, our Baltic allies, which, you know, Turkey is one of the major contributors to the Baltic air policy. But we producing them, we, you know, we provide them Russia also the ferries that will threaten that mission. And also, you know, we are just provided them the dry dock that will they will give them a uh, head start in the northern sea route. Uh, yeah, so yes, so we have all these adventurous companies, and they, you know, they are doing business without any checks, and uh, you know, with uh, with all sorts of countries. And um, you know, if this wasn't done, I mean, you can of course argue, you know, when Russians when they were on that dry duck, um, dry duck tender happened. I remember in the Commerçant, which I think I tweeted the link a couple of days ago. You know, they went to several different shipyards in Russia. They were all very expensive. Nobody could have done in this time frame. And the only two companies was either Chinese or Turkish. And you know, they went with the quality product with the Turkish product. And you know, actually, you know, it's in this. You know, in the last eighteen months, everyone thinks Russia and China coming together. But you know, actually, you know, exactly uh, the. the- um, Austal USA, the American shipbuilding company, had a new needed a new floating dry dock for this for a new facility in San Diego, and um, that's a good example of previously people have been in in America been going to China to supply those docks. That was that's a Turkish built dry dock that ah covered okay. last year. Excellent, Chris, you got one so, more. You know, we we've spent a lot of time uh, in the last half of uh, 2023 
trying to expand the discussion and the knowledge of our audience on um, uh, the commercial side of uh, uh, of shipping and maritime issues. You know, we tend in the in the U.S. to focus mostly on the on the military. But I guess what I would just ask, just very quickly, you know, sort of take folks through. You know, we say ship spotter affectionately, but what what are you able to learn as you're watching these ships come through? Right, we've already heard you talk about um, volume. We've already heard you talk about you know lessons that you've drawn on on uh, changing flags and and changing names. But just if you could just share your calculus as to how you're looking at commercial shipping and then drawing geopolitical um, conclusions, I think it's important for people to understand that. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm like, personally, I'm more Russia centric, you know, but like you can, you can really focus on whatever you want, you know, it's like you can focus on the only on the livestock trade about animal rights, or you can look at the if you know, dredgers come in and the new airports getting built in Black Sea or the port facilities, and that will have effect the negative effect on the environment. I look at like I try to when I look at the ships and any kind of Russia-related ship. And it is very difficult to, in Russia's case, to separate the, you know, what's private, what's government. And, you know, when the tough time comes, everything is really for, you know, it it works for the Kremlin-related uh, operations. In the, you know, there is no private in, in Russia in the sense of we understand uh, private. So when I look at the Russian ships, I try to figure out what they're paying attention, what's not reported yet, and but what they're paying attention to. You know, it's like, you know, we accuse them stealing Ukraine's uh, grain, and you see suddenly vessels passing to the ports that you never seen before. It's going to, um, I'm making up right now, but like it's to Libreville somewhere, you know, Point Noir somewhere in Africa. It's carrying suddenly Russian aid. The Russian aid, you know, free Russian grain that's going to Africa. That's they just suddenly come up with a plan, and you can guess from like at least you know 48, 72 hours before, ah, you know, probably. Lavrov in, uh, you know, in Geneva or Zakharova in Moscow is going to give a speech how, you know, we are, you know, the Western world is making Africa hungry, but here Russia is, you know, providing grain. It's actually stolen grain from Ukraine. They are gifting it to Africa. But all like you look at it, um, you know, it's like um, they are repatriating some weapons on, you know, civilian looking vessels from Syria. And then you understand, okay, despite all the tough talk, maybe they are running out of some inventory back home about the Ukraine war. You know, they have to bring back, they carry it with all the great effort, all these things to 1800 kilometers away to Syria. Now they are carrying it back. Uh, or they're carrying back some suspicious container boxes from Egypt. Like, did they score some as old as 300 pieces from uh, Sisi? And now they're carrying it back. So, like, by looking at it, you can make some educated guesses. You cannot figure out everything all the time. You can sometimes figure out, you know, if you get lucky in open source, somebody puts a picture carelessly somewhere, you know, some Egyptian port or some Syrian port, or like sometimes in a Syrian wedding picture on Instagram, on the background, you see the Tartus port and you can see something. You know, this kind of thing happens in open source. Sometimes you get lucky. Or, you know, now there are so many satellite pictures. You get to see things like we saw on a civilian vessel of Sparta 4 getting unloading Hovitzers on a beautiful Maxar satellite picture on a non-cloudy day. So, you know, it's sometimes you see it, sometimes you just make educated guesses, but you can guess what Russia is paying attention right now and what they are planning to from the ship's activities. You can make educated guesses. Well, Yorick, uh, this has uh, been ridiculously fascinating. We have exceeded our allotted time, but we have exceeded our allotted time with quality information. 
Um, this has really been good stuff. I have to I have to share one little anecdote. Uh, few weeks ago i was in istanbul we we finally met up for the first first time face to face in person yorick comes by to uh, pick me up in his car i get in and of course you're in the, we're in the, we're in the middle of istanbul and uh you know he's, he's got his uh, computers in his car the the, the flat screen and the dash and uh, most people have uh you know traffic stuff up there yorick has the marine traffic.com website up so he can he can see all the ships coming in and out and where they're coming from and if he sees anything interesting, he bizzles over, figures out where the, where, where the best place is to shoot it from. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've, you're the first person I've seen driving around town in a major city with a with uh, with ships on his dashboard rather than uh, traffic. And, you know, in Istanbul, the traffic is blocked all the time. There's like you don't need to check the roads. We know the road is right. all red. It's nothing. All lanes are slow, so it's better <laughs> just to check the Russian shipping. <laughs> you did, you did, you did pretty good zipping around that 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 great big city. I think you know all the routes. <laughs> Um, it was really <laughs> impressive. You're like this has been absolutely outstanding. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you. I hope to see you again soon. Um, I, I I love your post. I love what you watch, um, and I know there's much more that uh, you know what you do that's not just maritime related. But um, you're 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 a busy guy, and I, we really appreciate your time. And you're like best of luck in the in the new year. And thanks for being our guest. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Happy New Year to everyone and to all listeners. Thank Happy you. New Year. Well, folks, that will do it for us as we close out our last show of 2023. It's been a great year here at the podcast where we won our first major defense media award reported from the field and at sea. We look forward to upping our game even more in 2024, and we truly appreciate all of you for listening. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. The Cabochus Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is one of the largest artificial intelligence and machine learning federal contractors to the U.S. government. HII delivering the advantage. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hey.